Wow. Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It is Pastor Paul here on a Monday morning, August 22nd. I almost forgot to turn on or how to turn on the equipment here at the home office at Four Oaks Church. It's been a few months since we have done our pastoral devos, Romans Rewind, but we're here eager and ready for the fall. So if this is your first time joining us, here's sort of how these things work. I take 10 or 15 minutes every Monday through Friday to unpack a portion of God's word to sort of jumpstart us into the day. And we run concurrently with the book of Romans or the sermon series we happen to be preaching at that time. And this is an opportunity to take a deep dive into different themes and topics theological issues, applications that maybe we didn't have time to really dig into um, on that previous Sunday morning. And so what I thought we would do today as we're sort of jumping back into things is to take just a moment and sort of do a little, I mean, a serious Romans Rewind and sort of get an overview of the book and the themes and where we're going, because I know there's a lot of you who are new to this. Um, it's been a while since we've since we've done this, and so I thought it would be a real helpful refresher. And I'm also going to give you a little bit of homework that I think will will help you. So remember, we know this that Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. It was probably 57 A.D. He was probably in Corinth, wintering there um, as part of his second missionary journey. I think it was or third. I should have known that I'm your pastor, but um, mine's not totally clear this morning. But he was writing to the church in Rome. Remember, he did not know the church in Rome. He knew them by reputation, and they knew him. But he had never visited the church, and he was eager to visit. This was in his part of his third missionary journey. It just clicked in for me now. And so he's writing, and he's, and he's anticipating coming to visit them. He wants them to help sponsor his trip. Um, his fourth missionary journey to Spain. And, and so that's one reason he's writing. Another reason he's writing is that he's gotten to know um, uh, a very famous couple from the church in Rome, Priscilla and Aquila. They were Jews, and they were most probably part of that group of Jews that had been expelled from Rome um, by Claudius because there was division between Christian Jews and traditional Jews. And they had left Rome, had met Paul on one of his missionary journeys in Ephesus, and um, they had reported to him what God was doing in the church in Rome. Well, now that all the Jews um, had been, Claudius died, his decree was abolished, so all the Christian Jews were able to return to Rome. But surprise, surprise, it wasn't the church that they remembered. You ever have that that? That perspective, you've been you've moved away from your hometown church or you've gone to college or something, you come back years later, it's not the same place, not the same people, not the same vibe, not the same culture. And that is most certainly the case with the church in Rome. As the Jewish Christians come back into the city, they realize the church is now predominantly Gentiles. And so Paul is also taking this opportunity. Uh, and there's division there. There, there's uncomfortableness, there's there's the, the Jews and Gentiles are trying to figure each other out and how do we relate together as brothers and sisters from in Christ from two totally different cultures. So Paul's writing for that reason as well. He, he wants to prepare the way for him to come. He is addressing a pastoral issue 
But then the third thing that happens here is that Paul uses this opportunity to sort of write his theological magnus opus. I mean, this is his opportunity to communicate at the deepest level the heart of God, the truths of the gospel, the thing, the, the, the thing that binds our hearts together as believers, no matter what our background is, um, the thing that motivates our great commission efforts, the reason we gather um, is because of the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is Paul's central concern. This is Paul's central theme, the gospel. And by the gospel, we mean the good news of Jesus Christ, the historical reality that Jesus Christ, born as the God-man, um, grew up perfectly sinless, um, died on a cross as a substitutionary atonement for our sins, that he was raised to life, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that is through this that we have reconciliation with God when we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what the whole book of Romans is about. And so the central theme, if you want to, if you want to call it this theme verse or verses are Romans 1, 16 and 17. And, and, and here we go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So that's Paul's thesis. And what he um, is going to do is going to unpack this in detail through the rest of the letter. Um, and so, so let me just kind of give you just a quick flyover um, to, to, to how this letter is organized. So Paul throws down the gospel gauntlet. And then he immediately goes into Romans 1 and 2 and halfway through Romans 3 to talk about why everyone needs the gospel. It's not just Gentiles, the dirty Gentiles outside the covenant people of God who need Jesus. Um, it's also Jews. And that's one of the things that Paul is helping the people in the church to understand that unites them is their, is their, is their fellow sinners, their brokenness. They're all... They're all sinners before God justly deserving of his wrath. And Paul takes quite a bit of time to spell out the condition of humanity in Romans 1 through 3 because he wants them to understand you need Jesus. And you've heard me say things like this before, but if you have an itty-bitty view of sin, you will have an itty-bitty Jesus. You will not fully understand your need for Jesus until you understand your own sinful depravity and wretchedness. And this is what Paul sets out to do, and he does in Romans 1 through 3. Well, once Paul, of course, spills all the bad news, right, he, he wants to articulate in a specific way, okay, the, the heart of the gospel. In other words, what makes it good news? Why is the death of Jesus Christ for us what, what gives that theological meaning? And here in Romans 3, 21, this is what Paul says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Paul says the righteousness of God is not something that you earn 
or that you get to the end of your life to find out if you've accrued enough brownie points to, to gain access to God. The righteousness of God is something given to us. It doesn't mean we become immediately perfect. That isn't what it means. What it means is that God treats us as if we were righteous because he credits the righteousness of God to our account. And that gift is not earned. It's simply received through faith. And so what Paul does, again, is in, in Romans 4 and 5, is he articulates the fact that this has always been God's plan. It's always been the way of salvation, going all the way back to, to Abraham, that the way God has, has received his people as righteous in his sight is not because of what they've done for him, it's because what he has done for them. And that's where Paul sort of camps out for a few chapters. Um, he gets to Romans 7, and he addresses an issue um, as, to, as to why we as Christians still struggle, still struggle deeply, still sin deeply. And Paul says it's because um, the Spirit has made us alive in Christ, but we still have the remnants of the old man, the sinful nature in us that drags us down, that pulls us down. And sometimes Christians can behave a lot like non-Christians. Sometimes Christians can fall into deep sin. And Paul helps us understand why that is. He also says, though, as a, as a point of hope here, that as a Christian, if you are struggling, and I'll say this to you today, if you're struggling, that's an indication that the Spirit is alive in you, conforming you to Christ, making you dead to sin, not letting you be comfortable in your sin. And so finally, and then we get to sort of the, the apex of Romans, the, I mean, the pinnacle, Romans 8, Paul's, it's, it's, it's the therefore. So in light of all these things, here is what for, is true for you as a believer. And this is where he tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He tells us that, um, that we have absolute assurance in the love of God and in our salvation, again, because of the, the ironclad promises of, of God. And we talked about the golden chain of salvation. Those God called, those he foreknew, he called, he predestined, he justified, he sanctified, he glorified. They're all bound together. You cannot separate them. And so we have incredible blessings, the best blessings, the eternal blessings of the gospel through Jesus. And then finally, um, this is this brings us up to where we are, um, or have been. Romans nine through eleven, Paul addresses the issue of the Jews. What's happening to the Jews? Why why are they falling away? Why are they, why are they hardened? And and Paul takes great pains in Romans nine through ten to tell us the purposes of God have not failed. God is sovereign over salvation, and we can and we can trust Him that He's doing His work. And of course, that brings us to Romans eleven where we are. Now we're going to unpack our passage from Romans 11 that we did yesterday um, throughout the course of this week. But I just wanted to give us a sort of a flyover for Romans and to kind of orient us to what's happening in the book. It's all about the gospel. Now, part of your homework is I would encourage you to sit down this week and read Romans from start to finish and try not to read it in start and stops. It's good to read it in start and stops. That's the way we preach through it. But remember, Romans was is a letter written to people. It was undoubtedly read aloud orally to the church gathered and and 
these were not sort of segmented um, into chapters. There were no chapters or verse divisions. It was a letter read to the church in one sitting. And when I think when you do that, it, you'll begin to get a sense of the person of Paul, but most importantly, the person of Christ and what God has done for us through him. So that's your homework. Now, as a little inspiration, um, I want to read to you what Martin Luther had to say about the book of Romans. And of course, from our journeys this summer on the Reformation tour to Germany, I brought my Playmobil, Martin Luther, and he's going to hang out with me uh, during these pastoral devotionals this season. Because for, for Luther, and we're going to talk about this, we're going to do a little uh, Christian history, biblical history too, um, this semester. Romans was the book that transformed and changed everything for him. But let me listen to, as we head out today, let listen to what Luther had to say about this. Be inspired to study this book. Here's what Luther says. In this epistle, we find most abundantly the things that a Christian ought to know, namely, what is law, gospel, sin, punishment, grace, faith, righteousness, Christ, God, good works, love, hope, and the cross, and how we are to conduct ourselves towards everyone, whether righteous or sinners, strong or weak, friend or foe, even toward our own selves. Moreover, this all ably supported with Scripture and provided by St. Paul's own example and that of the prophets, so that one could not wish for anything more. Now, here's, here's the takeaway line. Ready? Therefore, it appears that God wanted in this one epistle to sum up briefly the whole Christian and evangelical doctrine and to prepare an introduction to the entire Old Testament. Therefore, let every Christian be familiar with it and exercise himself in it continually. To this end, may, we, may God give us grace, his grace. The epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. What an encouragement, church. Dig into Romans this season. Make it the daily bread for your soul. We hope you'll join us back here tomorrow morning, Tuesday, as we get into the nitty-gritty of Romans 11. Let me pray. Father, as we embark on a new season of studying your word and studying Romans, Lord, we want to take this to heart, just as we learned that your word is a feast for us. Lord, re be reminded that this is a banquet that you invite us to dine with you each and every day. And so, Father, nourish the souls of the saints of Four Oaks through the book this season. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you back here tomorrow morning.